Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Well, I am here today at my table with my friend Amy Natsky. And I think it was pretty early in this podcast's life, maybe January or February, that I got an email saying that Amy had a poet that she was very excited to come share with me and my listeners. And I actually hadn't even heard of this poet, and I haven't let myself even research her because I was looking forward to being surprised along with listeners as we learn about Amy, um, one of Amy's favorite poets. So, Amy, thank you for being here. You're welcome. And who is this poet that you wanted to make sure folks knew about? And what is it about her that made you so eager to come and share? Well, the name of my poet is Ruth Pitter. She's an English poet who lived from 1897 to 1992. So she lived a long time Mm -hmm. through some... An incredible century. Um, wow. She was not formally educated in college anyway. Her parents were school teachers. Uh, they couldn't afford to send her to college. Uh, but she wrote poetry as a child and then on as she grew up. Um, she's, she began being published pretty early on and I think the publication was pretty steady throughout her life. Um, she did not Uh, support herself as a poet. She was an artisan. She painted trays and furniture. Hmm. And uh, I'm not sure what she did during the First World War, but in the Second World War, she worked for a munitions company. And then after that, she and a friend bought this little furniture company. And she did that continually. And then I think as she got older, she worked mostly in her garden and and kind of lived a, a life out in the country. And Wrote her, wrote her poetry, and then it, in near the end of her life, I think she contributed to some of the BBC TV and radio programs. Um, Have you ever seen her paintings, any of the furniture, seen pictures of it? No, I haven't. Oh, that would be interesting. Wouldn't it be? Yeah. 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 Um, she was somebody who was a very good friend to C.S. Lewis. Um, she... I guess described herself as sort of a bohemian type artisan uh, in in her in her outlook on life before the war, and then after the war, she listened to uh, Lewis's broadcast talks and was very much influenced by that, and then did um, convert to Orthodox Christianity in the Anglican Church, and um, and then after that. She and Lewis became friends. I think she contacted him to tell him what a bright light she brought to he brought to her life, and they <clears throat> met and criticized each other's poems. and And Lewis would bring her his poets, his poetry, and really highly regarded her. Oh, her so a very close those. friendship. Yes, they were reading each other's work and giving yes, feedback in their life. Wow. And he told one of his friends, uh, one of his biographies, I don't remember who he told, but he's quoted in one of his biographies, the one by Jack Sayer, is saying that if he were not a bachelor, then Ruth Pitter would have been the one, the one that he would want to marry. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
we don't know how she felt about that, but we do know that Joy Davidman was a much more aggressive kind of person, mm -hmm. and Ruth Pitter was much more reserved um, and sort of poised and just very English. And Joy Davidman was not. And that's who he ended up marrying, mm -hmm. correct? Okay. Right. And then um, I guess Lewis wanted to, wanted these, uh, mentioned to uh, Joy that maybe he could write to Ruth, she could write to Ruth and they could be friends, and uh, that didn't work out. Oh, that didn't yeah. happen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there's just some husbands little... trying to arrange friendships between right. the woman he married and the one he would have married if he wasn't a bachelor. <laughs> Isn't that kind of interesting? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, so what do I love about Ruth Pitter? Well, um, she writes with so much compassion and generosity and love for things that other people wouldn't find to deserve those things. Uh, maybe she just sees beauty where other people wouldn't see it. She, um, she's always sort of giving the object the benefit of the doubt in terms of its value and in terms of what it contributes to the world. And um, she's very charitable. She's very generous. Um, I love that. Yeah. It's so easy to criticize and point out what's ugly and what you can laugh at and it's I think harder to pull off beautiful art that has that compassion and mm -hmm. yeah and she she writes as something also at the same time that and maybe the best poets are all are like this but she really has to write it's her way of negotiating her world mm -hmm. and her response to the world and so it's really part of the discipline of her living and so I've kind of presumed and I don't have a lot of recollection of any explicit statements that she's made about this, but I presume that poetry writing is something that she did in in that task of living a worthy life. Mm -hmm. And and not just an avocation, um, but something she really had to do. Mm -hmm. And um, part of her response to just the whole mystery of her creator, you know, mm -hmm. before before she passed a threshold of actually um, converting to Christianity, still that, that quality is in her poems, mm. I find. Did she ever marry? No, she never married. Um, she, she just has real reverence for the mystery of what she doesn't understand mm. and what she doesn't know, mm -hmm. and she handles it so carefully and um, with just so much precision and care. That's the other thing I sense mm -hmm. in her poetry, she just cares so much. And she, and she cares enough to be very precise and, and gentle and compassionate. Um, so then I have a couple other notes. Maybe I'll read a poem first. Yes, I was about to say I'm getting so hungry to hear. <laughs> You're saying some of my favorite okay. things that poems can do. And so you've brought several poems you mm -hmm. mentioned. I would like to read first one called The Sparrow's Skull. Um, it's subtitled subtitled Memento Mori, written at the fall of France. So this would have been about May, June, 1940. Mm -hmm. Memento Mori is Latin for remember that you have to die. And there are several poems like this where she's, she's been cut to the heart by uh, what's happening in the world around her during the war. And she comes to the poetry to um, express that. So the sparrow skull. <clears throat> The kingdoms fall in sequence like the waves on the shore, 
All save divine and desperate hopes go down, they are no more. Solitary is our place, the castle in the sea, and I muse on those I have loved and on those who have loved me. I gather up my loves, keep them all warm, while above our heads blow the bitter storm. The blessed natural loves of life-supporting flame and those whose name is wonder, which have no other name. The skull is in my hand, the minute cup of bone, and I remember her, the tame, the loving one, who came in at the window and seemed to have a mind more toward sorrowful man than to those of her own kind. She came for a long time, but at length she grew old, and on her death day she came, so feeble and so bold, and all day, as if knowing what the day would bring, she waited by the window with her head beneath her wing. And I will keep the skull, for in the hollow here lodged the minute brain that had outgrown a fear, transcended an old terror, and found a new love, and entered a strange life, a world it was not of. Even so, dread God, even so, my Lord, the fire is at my feet and at my breast the sword, and I must gather up my soul and clap my wings and flee into the heart of terror to find myself in thee. Mm, that's beautiful. I love how the skull in our hand roots these ideas and feelings to her specific place where she's standing. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like something solid and tangible. And it reminds you of the poet's body with the sparrow in her hand, but then all of the rest of the ideas and historical time kind of swirling around, but they're tethered by that. Mm. little tiny bone it's really beautiful she does that often with living objects mm. um, plants or birds or insects she has quite a, a collection of uh, poems about small life mm -hmm. small, small living things what else did you bring him well, there's another war, wartime poem. This is called The Bridge. And I can't say that I understand this poem very much. I only knew that I really liked it. And I tried to... It's one of those things where I, I, I sense that she's so serious about what, he, what she's saying that I don't want to try too hard to presume that I know what it is because then I make it sort of less than it is. Mm. Um, but this is one of these things that really, this poem feels to me like a prayer. And so I just want to read it very reverently, even though I don't necessarily understand mm -hmm. what it's all about. But we could, we could speculate. <clears throat> I mean, I think I have a general idea, but could be wrong. The Bridge. Where is the truth that will inform my sorrow? I am sure myself that sorrow is not the truth. These lovely shapes of sorrow are empty vessels waiting for wine. They wait to be informed. 
Men make the vessels on either side of the river. On this, the hither side, the artists make them, and there, over the water, the workmen make them. These, frail with a peacock glaze, and the others, heavy, simple as doom, made to endure the furnace. War shatters the peacock jars. Let us go over. Indeed, we have no choice but to go over. There is always a way for those who must go over, always a bridge from the known to the unknown. When from the known the mind revolts and despairs, there lies the way, and there we must go over. O oh, truth, is it death there over the river, or is it life, new life in a land of summer? The mind is an empty vessel, a shape of sorrow. Fill it with life or death, for it is hollow. Dark wine or bright, fill it. Let us go over. Let me go find my truth over the river. Wow. There's no way hearing that one time I could be able to get it figured out like you said. There's a lot of mystery there. And it's almost visual how the vessel changes from an em something empty for pain to fill to her little jars to the heart. And it's just changing and morphing through the poem what that vessel is. To, I, what do you make of the bridge, the symbolism of the bridge and the artisan turquoise bowls on one side and the strong ones that will endure the war and her wondering if she should go across or not. Well, I don't know, but what I what I think this communicates to me is that she's seeing what war does. And she's saying there's nothing we can do about this. We have to concede. Mm -hmm. And certain things which we've been able to take for granted or develop maybe as a civilization, because we've been able to flourish, are going to be gone. And certain people have always lived in that reality, underneath the flourishing. Mm. And, and we have to be willing to go over where they are mm. and find the life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, it's, that's what I hear. And um, it says, when from the known the mind revolts and despairs, there lies the way, and there we must go over. So I think she's saying there is a way. We can, we can do it, and I want to do it, and I need to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, I am looking forward to reading it again. It feels very complex, and, and some of those rhymes, too. It was fun to hear you read it. Sorrow and hollow river, summer, wow. just how they come so close to rhyming but don't add mm -hmm. to that feeling of being a little bit disoriented and not not getting what you expect, right. but having it be close. And there's just some beautiful artistry in those rhymes that I was hearing. I like the way you, you're paying attention to the words. I, I find that as I'm, I haven't really read, I don't read poetry necessarily like that. I need. I, I. I'm always going for the, the spiritual meaning, I guess. Um, but I'm going to have to go over these again and, and think like that. Look at her rhymes and, and the way she chooses words. 
I think it's partly because I'm for I don't have it in front of me and I just have to listen. Oh right. And like sure. I've mentioned, I think there's something extra interesting that happens when poetry's out loud. Mm-hmm. And I think like you, if I could see the words, it would be I'd be thinking more intellectual about what do these words mean? What's she saying? But when mm-hmm. I have to just sit here and listen carefully, I can hear those sounds better. Mm. So thanks for reading to me. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love to read these. What a feast. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Ah. This one's called In the Open. It's a short, simple poem, extremely powerful. In the Open. Move into the clear. Keep still. Take your stand out in the place of fear on the bare sand. Where you have never been where the small heart is chilled, where a small thing is seen and can be killed. Under the open day, so weak and so appalled, look up and try to say, here I am, for you called. You must haunt the thin cover by that awful place till you can get it over and look up into that face. Wow, that is kind of haunting and ominous. <laughs> yeah. What do you make of that one? I think it's a place, I think it's a, she's talking to her spirit or her heart or another's. She's, she's saying, you know, it's very hard, but you have, to, you have to be willing to be exposed. And you have to come out from, from the place where you feel so protected and comfortable and used to things and come out where you're intensely vulnerable Mm -hmm. and look up at the one who um, will will care for you and um, yeah it it remind it makes me think of a poem that's written for someone in a very precise precarious place in Mm -hmm. their own heart it's not necessarily where everybody is but certain times maybe certain times we all are in this place but um, certainly I've been in this place and this 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 poem is something of a prayer for me that it's encouraging it's it's um, it's it helps me be strong or it just helps me have courage maybe that's it mm-hmm it even feels informed by battle, mm-hmm. thinking of you can hide mm-hmm. in the dunes or, you know, in the bushes and shrubs, or you can walk out to where it's dangerous and open and where you can be seen. Right. Yeah, there's a line where a small thing is seen and be mm-hmm. killed. And mm-hmm. I mean, that, that sort of runs counter to the idea that, okay, just look up at God and everything's going to be okay. Well, first you you put yourself in a place where you're vulnerable to what the rest of the world is going to think or do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just about you and your maker. It's, it's about what it just means to be naked, I think. Maybe partly it's about art. Do you hide or do you share oh, yeah. other people? In, in one's own art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
And you said she was published frequently through her life, right? She wasn't somebody who it wasn't until no, after her death no, that she was she, discovered. She was read uh, quite a bit, especially in the latter part of her life. Um, she got some some real acclaim. I think she was she was awarded something from the Queen, um, and she she had many of her contemporaries, uh, uh, like Lewis and the Inklings and so forth. They knew who she was, mm-hmm. and um, but now in our in our day today, people don't know who she is. Um, in fact, I was looking up a book of I was looking I think at Amazon yesterday or the day before, looking for. S- to see if there was a particular book of poems that she wrote later in her life. And all of the poetry was very expensive. For instance, oh. this book right here that I have, mm-hmm. this cost on Amazon about $790. This is Ruth Pitter Collected <laughs> Poems, a beautiful little hardback, 700 Yes, and that's not what oh. I paid for it, but all of her other books, um, they're very expensive, and so they're, they just need to be reprinted. Somebody mm-hmm. needs to... Um, republish them. Absolutely. Can you read another? Absolutely. Let's see. This one's called Narrow But Deep. Poor man I used to meet sometimes on Sunday buses in the war, who missed the sound of the church chimes heard faintly in the field afar, or roaring where the sallies swung. Quiet man, wherever now you are, with such a calm speech and simple tongue, with widowed, unrebellious mind, with an old, childlike, steadfast face, so free from passion, yet so kind, unlearned, but without a trace of ignorance, enemy to grace. As the long bomber's night loomed down, and the crammed, stinking bus would race back to the cowering, helpless town, you lit the chapel of your life, with its scrubbed floor and rough white wall, You closed me in from bitter strife. You raised the light perpetual above your little altar. All your long obedience shone on me. Darkling beneath the double pall of night and sorrow, I could see. Hemmed in by a straight holiness, much deeper ran my shallow tide. Those walls, as saving arms, may press a child from harm on either side shut out my pain, shut out my pride. And now and then a look would come, so clear, I thought that I described the, described the mother and the cottage home. Hmm. I was wondering if she wrote about people, and here we have one about people. Yes, she did write about people. She would see, a, a like this, a person in a situation who she would admire or who made an impact on her and then she would explore all the all the things that that could have contributed to that person's virtue and describe it and this is one example of those poems I feel like in this one uh, there's a picture in my mind of her sitting on a bus and there have been the the blitz is is going on and she's wrestling with her feelings and her fears and feeling overcome that but there's this man that she who's who becomes a constant she sees him on the bus mm-hmm. and he's at peace and some of his peace comes from him his uh, simplicity and and just uh, 
quiet with calm speech and simple tongue, rough life, but childlike steadfast face, yet and kind and just somewhat detached by what's going on, um, having come through so much already in his life that nobody else will necessarily know anything about. Mm -hmm. And that inspires her and it kind of, um, it, 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 the image of him protects a certain place in her own self, in her own heart. So then it's talking about a woman, right? And at the end, a mother in a cottage. Mm-hmm. Is she wondering about that person she sees too? Who's the she? I'm not sure. But the, the she comes at the very end, right? I think, I think so. it's at the very end. Yeah, I don't really understand that that uh, line, but maybe she's... She says, and now and then a look would come so clear. I thought that I described the mother and the cottage home. So maybe mm-hmm. she's looking at him and she sees a clear mm-hmm. expression, on, uh, expression on his face and can see somehow, uh, let's say, the residue or what of, of the joys that he's had in his life or the, the mother and the child who, who helped make him who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so her imagination is being fed by, by what he radiates in himself without knowing it. Mm-hmm. What do you make of you lit the chapel of your life with its scrubbed floor and rough white wall? You closed me in from bitter strife. Re- reading upside down here, right. peeking at your paper. Very good. You did that very well. <laughs> and raise the light perpetual. Yeah. So this, to my mind, it means his his heart, his his inner landscape is is clean. It's simple mm. and clean, and it's un, uncluttered, and it's safe, and it's well tended, mm. and there's a place where she can rest in there. Yeah, it's a beautiful interior. Right. A very interior poem, even when she can peek into the cottage at the end and Mm -hmm. see what's going on in that room. And she's in a bus. Mm -hmm. Definitely has that interior feeling. Yeah, so she's being nourished by that interior. Mm -hmm. And as it's reflected in in the atmosphere of his persona on the bus... And I feel myself relate to that. I think I've had that same experience, looking at other people, strangers, and thinking, wow, mm. what a what a piece they have, and, and how did that come about, mm. and what were the parts of their life that made that happen, and then try to imagine it, you mm-hmm. know, and then be strengthened somehow, yeah. or inspired, or just lifted onto the next thing a little better. Yeah, oh, I love that. Do you think you would be able to pick one more, or do you need more than that? <laughs> one more poem. Oh, I can do one more. There's mm-hmm. there is one more that I that I truly love. Okay. Um, okay. This is for some reason. I just well, I want to say this is my favorite poem. I don't know if I have. A, I don't know that I have a favorite poem, but this is surely. If I had to pick one, this would be the running. Of Ruth Pitters. Okay. This one's called The Small Plant. I must die. Oh, was I born from time's malice and man's scorn? 
Look where at your feet the plant, love's pilgrim in poor suppliance, with a leaf like a small hand signals to you from the sand. With a flower like a blue eye propounds love's dreadful mystery. With a weak triumphant spire soars to a peak of pure desire. So poor, so circumscribed she stands, foot fast, and yet her little hands sweep in spirals and describe the old pattern of her tribe, her awful rune, the which she must repeat ere she return to dust, completing with a meager seed the implacable and humble need, the spell, the prayer, the proud pavan conceived before the hills began. I just never would have thought somebody could say so much about a plant. Mm-hmm. It's really chastening to me. And, um, oh, it's so beautiful. And you know, you consider how many plants there are in the world mm-hmm. that have ever existed. And yet each one has this dignity. And she sees it. And, uh, you know, even the weed, you could say this, this poem about. Mm-hmm. I suppose my favorite line would be something like, um, well, definitely the end, the spell, the, spell, the, proud, the prayer, the proud pavan. Uh, I love that line, the mm-hmm. proud pavan, just ongoing with a rhythm that's consistent and dignified. And it's about one of the things that really blows my mind the most about life on Earth. I mean, if you think big, like, galaxies those are amazing but if you really think about like in this she almost treats a tiny plant as if it has knowledge she says something like it uses the pattern that its tribe mm-hmm. that's unique to her, its tribe and I just think that too like seeds can look so much alike and it mentions a seed but the information in it is what it takes to build something that looks exactly like the ones that have come before it hmm. this just to me that is so magical but it's every day it's not right you know it's not magic that's how things just work and yet right. if you really think about it yeah i couldn't take a seed and build a flower out of it <laughs> it manages to do that on its own yeah if somebody wanted to read more ruth pitter do you have the titles of a few of your other favorites that they could maybe find? Are, are these able to be found by Googling, or do you have to Yes, there's somewhere? quite a bit on Ruth Pitter mm-hmm. um, at those main, I can't think of the names of them, but there are those poetry sites where you can mm-hmm. look up the poet and the dates and get a biography, and, and she's certainly out there. Um, but I would say uh, this Ruth Pitter Collected Poems is the only poem that I, the only book that I have and I think these are the ones she wrote up to a certain point okay. in her life. And I, I'm not sure toward the end of her life, because um, she lived to be so, lived so long, I'm not sure what those poems are like um, or where they're published. Mm-hmm. But they can certainly be, be found online. And I actually have put some of them in a file because uh, I created a file for the people in my book group. Uh, we, we did a, a time on Ruth Pitter, and so 
if anybody wanted me to just send them a file of poems, I could do that too. Oh, maybe we'll have, have to include your email 20 address. 20 or 30. Yeah, that's, oh, that's great. Right. Yeah. So what are the titles of a couple of your other favorites? Oh, oh, there's a wonderful one called The Old Woman Speaks of the Moon. And actually, I, if I could possibly read that. Could I possibly Go read that? Go for it. Okay. This is a marvelous one. And I think this is quite well known. An Old Woman Speaks of the Moon. She was urgent to speak of the moon. She offered delight and wondering praise to be shared by the girl in the shop, lauding the goddess who blessed her each sleepless night, greater and brighter till full. But the girl could not stop. She turned and looked up in my face and hastened to cry how beautiful was the orb, how the constant glow comforted in the cold night the old waking eye, how fortunate she, whose lodging was placed, that so she in the lonely night, in her lonely age, she from her poor lean bed might behold the undying letter of loveliness written on heaven's page. The sharp silver arrows leaped down to where she was lying. The dying spoke love to the immortal, the foul to the fair, the withered to the still flowering, the bound to the free. The nipped worm to the silver swan that sails through the air and I took it as good and a happy omen to me. Beautiful. Beautiful. Shall we just end with those words of Ruth Pitter? Let's do that. Thank you so much, Amy, for sharing this new treasure of a poet with me and with the listeners. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Part of my vision for Take This Poem was to have it be interactive. I imagined it as a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. So what would that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. You could send me a voice recording of you reading a poem to be included in a mailbag poetry reading. Commenting on the poem is welcome, but optional. Don't be shy. It's the only voice you got. What better use for it do you have than reading beautiful words out loud? Also, you could request a poem that you'd like to hear me read and ponder on the show. Or tell me what you've been thinking about these days and I could play literary matchmaker and choose a poem for you. And by the way, I am aware that I have a small but loyal following of youngsters out there and these invitations are all open to them as well. Send any of these or other ideas you have to take this poem podcast at gmail.com and join me in sharing good poems with this little community. I hope to hear from you soon.